What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is James White, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the Epic Roster Watch Podcast, brought to you by RosterWatch.com and by Underdog Fantasy. Go to Underdog Fantasy right now, get a 100% deposit bonus up to $100 by using promo code ROSTER whenever you sign up. The big Best Ball Mania tournament, Best Ball Mania 3 going on right now. Two million bucks to the winner. Two million bucks. Our guest, uh, our guest today. A great friend of Roster Watch, man. We've known this guy well over a decade since we first met him. Doug, we first met you at the Senior Bowl. Was that 2011? I, forget what I think it was. It might have been 2012. I think it was the uh, the Russell Wilson year. That's it. Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, yep. Doug Martin. That year, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a that was a good one. Uh, he's Doug Kide. You can find him on Twitter at Doug Kide. That's K. Y. E. D. He's the uh, NFL reporter now at. PFF after covering the Patriots for a long time for Nesson. You know him from either of those things. Great friend of roster watch. You've heard him on the radio show. You've heard him here on the podcast. He's been out of Patriots OTAs. Doug, what the hell's going on, brother? How, 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 how's everything up there in the, in the land of uh, what the land of all you Bostonites? You guys hanging in okay up there? Yeah, it's good. I no no temperatures in the hundreds like you guys have in Texas right now. We've got some pretty good weather, but uh, yeah, I figured you know I, I live in the area anyway. Might as well check out some Patriots OTAs and minicamp over the last couple of weeks. So that was uh, it was fun. It was fun to get back out there, back, back to my roots a little bit and watch the Patriots. Well, I, I, I wanted to ask you just a couple of national kind of head, a couple of things about national headlines. But before that, I wanted to ask you just about Patriots since we're on it. And also, I said Bostonites. Is it Bostonites? Is it Bostonians? Like, what do you guys call yourselves? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's Bostonians, New Englanders, okay. New Englanders, uh, yeah. New Englanders. All right, <laughs> okay. okay, all right. So uh, first, let's just first let's talk about Patriots. So I. I there are a million things that we could touch on, and I know you probably had access to some of these players, or at least some of the some of these folks uh, during during the OTAs. And I know how reporters can talk to one another and talk to people sort of around there. Did you hear anything about Jacoby Myers? Why he hasn't signed? You know, is, isn't there a deal about him not signing his tender just yet? Um, is is there something going on with him? Uh, and what do you see? What have you heard about Jacoby Myers? Is 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 there anything going on there? It is an interesting situation. He was at OTAs and minicamp, uh, was doing individual drills, but was not heavily involved, I think, at all in uh, in team drills, which makes sense since he hasn't signed the restricted free agent tender. I'm not sure if that was the reason or if he's just kind of like a little bit banged up or something like that. But it is an interesting situation. And not to get too deep into the weeds here, but uh, his agent is Drew Rosenhaus. 
Uh, and it wasn't originally Drew Rosenhaus. It was oh, originally yeah. a, another firm. Uh, and, and something kind of similar happened this year with another Drew Rosenhaus client, uh, DNS Johnson, who was also a restricted free agent this year. Uh, and DNS Johnson had also switched agents to Drew Rosenhaus uh, this offseason. So Drew Rosenhaus with DNS Johnson had him actually sign a, a separate one-year contract rather than signing the RFA tender. Not totally sure the reason behind that, uh, but you know, if he hits the incentives, it, it equals that restricted free agent tender anyway. I'm curious right now is if we see something similar with Jacoby Myers, if that's why he hasn't signed that restricted free agent tender yet, and instead they work out kind of a separate deal, make it a little bit more incentive-based, make it you know have a little bit more guaranteed money than a restricted free agent tender uh, would have. I don't think there's any real concern about Jacoby Myers not being with the Patriots in 2022, but it is definitely notable that he hasn't signed that tenure yet, but the fact that he was still out there at practice. And you know, with that, that thing for fantasy, for maybe dynasty of these deeper leagues, that kind of makes me interested in, in Dearness Johnson, because we know that Rosenhaus only swoops in on these guys when he's getting some intel from the league that, you know, maybe that they're going to be valued in a certain way that he feels like he can come in and make some money and steal them away from a smaller client. We've seen that happen with literally athlete after athlete. I wonder if like he might think that, you know, this stuff with Kareem Hunt not getting a long-term deal could play into Dearness Johnson, maybe getting some more playing time with Cleveland and being able to leverage that in those negotiations to get that new contract. But certainly it's a big deal with Jacoby Myers and something we'll, certainly keep an eye on whenever he's not out there just in general as far as the wide receivers was there anything you noticed anything that stood out to you um as far as how these guys are looking i know that you know pro- i would imagine that you know one of the um is like is, is taekwon thornton out there but i'd imagine that he was probably be somebody that a, a, a lot of folks have their eyes on yeah, for sure. I mean, they've got a, a pretty deep wide receiver core this season, I'd say. It's certainly not in the top end of the league or anything like that, but it goes, you know, five, six deep. So uh, Kendrick Bourne was out there as a starting wide receiver. Um, yeah, obviously, Jacoby Myers would have been in the mix if he had been out there for team drills. Um, but you've also got Nelson Aguilar, who's, you know, taking first team reps out there. Devontae Parker's in the mix now. He's out there taking first team reps. But uh, Tyquan Thornton as well, not taking first team reps, but certainly out there. He's slim, he's slender, but he's mm-hmm. fast and yeah. he certainly has the potential in the future. Uh, but actually the most interesting player that got more time with Jacoby Myers off the field or kind of off to the side was Trey Nixon, the Patriots 2021 seventh round pick mm-hmm. out of UCF. Uh, he was a four-star recruit, started his college career at Ole Miss, dealt with some injuries, uh, but he was actually thrust in there in the slot, especially on Wednesday. And him and Mac Jones had basically like an incredible connection during the two mini camp practices that we were out there. Um, he's a little bit undersized, like six feet, 187. Uh, but he made three great uh, catches on deep balls from Mac Jones. Mac Jones was really delivering uh, those tough touch deep throws really well during practice. And Trey Nixon was beating some good cornerbacks on Wednesday after he'd already made two good deep catches on Tuesday and Wednesday. He's matched up against Jonathan Jones in the slot. Jonathan Jones had really tight coverage on him. Uh, the ball was dropping down about 60 yards from Mac Jones. Jonathan Jones actually grabbed one of Trey Nixon's arms and Nixon was still able to make a one-handed over-the-shoulder kind of bucket grab with one hand. So, you know, it's non-padded, it's OTAs, it's minicamp, it's all these things. But when you're already talking about a deep group of wide receivers, now you see Trey Nixon out there in the slot looking like Julian Edelman and and Wes Welker. It certainly, (laughs) you know, adds another name into that mix. Not to go too long on Trey Nixon, but like the guy was really good. 
in minicamp. Oh, well, I mean, that's that's an important thing to file away. And, and and everybody who's listening to this certainly will because they're crazy, crazy degenerates who have played fantasy with big, big, deep rosters. That's exactly exactly the kind of pickup that we're looking to make this time of year as far as a speculative ad. Um, do you think that um, – did you get any insight at all? I, I, I want to ask you about these running backs, but, but just like as far as – did you get any insight at all or just what do you think about as a longtime observer of the Patriots – about who's who's going to be calling these plays on 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 offense now? I mean, like I I we had read earlier in the week that Belichick was mulling over the idea of Matt Patricia, and to me that's just like that seems crazy. I believe that I think Joe Judge is back, and maybe, maybe I don't could he, could he call plays? I mean, wasn't he a special teams guy before? I think he might have been a wide receivers coach for, for one year. Little, yeah, yeah. Little spe- like what what's the sort of the background there? And I, I you know just your general your general thoughts on what could happen with the offensive play calling. So right now it kind of appears to be a, a little bit of a three headed monster with Bill Belichick's working a lot on offense. Uh, you've got Joe judge working with the quarterbacks. You've got Matt Patricia working with the offensive line. There's some other guys thrown in there too. Nick so Patricia's, so is, is Patricia the offensive line coach now? Essentially it's, it's him and Billy Yates, a uh, former NFL player. Uh, they've got another offensive assistant. I think Tyler Hughes is kind of working with the offensive line as well, but it looks like Matt Patricia is basically running the show with the offensive line. So if this was a typical staff, you might see roles for judge and Patricia as maybe judge is like a passing game coordinator and Patricia is a run game coordinator, um, which is strange because Patricia was a defensive guy. Then we spent two years on the offensive side of the ball when he first came to New England in the mid 2000s. Joe Judge, as he mentioned, special teams coordinator, spent one year as a wide receivers coach. But both those guys do obviously have head coaching experience, so that lends itself to the fact that they were able to work with both sides of the field. But you know, as far as who's going to be calling plays during practice when they get into 11 on 11s, it does look like Matt Patricia is doing it. But I thought that Mike Lombardi, who obviously spent quite a lot of time with Bill Belichick as a good friend of Bill Belichick. He made some interesting comments yesterday that he was basically saying, if Matt Patricia is the offensive line coach, how is he going to be calling plays? Like if his, if his job is to be, you know, coaching the offensive line on the sideline, he doesn't really care what goes on past the offensive line, past the defensive line. So unless Billy Yates takes on a bigger role on the offensive line or, you know, unless the roles really shift around before training camp, my guess would be Belichick calling plays because he did that in Cleveland for a few years, possibly Joe judge. Obviously, like I said, Matt Patricia is still possibly in the mix, but no one really knows. I think Belichick doesn't even really know right now. It's a pretty small circle of trust in new England. So I don't think anyone really outside of those three, plus maybe some guys in the front office have any idea what's going on with the offensive play calling situation. That's, that's great information. So that's the information side. What is your, like, what do you think that that means for this offense, though? Just as you look at, like, what does that mean? Well, it, like, I mean, it's been there's been stability for so long with the, with the play call. I mean, it, I mean, it's got to be something that's probably a little bit worrisome for fans. Like, what, like, what is this gonna, what's, what does this mean? You I, know? I think it, I think it's worrisome for fans. I think it might also be a little bit concerning for players as well. The fact that they, you know, have these this like special teams guy and defensive guy uh, in charge of the offense right now. But one thing that was interesting that some players have mentioned that there's been some terminology changes in new England. Uh, Bill Belichick said that they've streamlined things on offense. And that was very notable to me because as you know, as we all know for years and years and years, it was Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski. You've got Nick Casario up in the coach's booth, relaying information, you know, five or six guys at that core 
who knew the offense front and back had been in the system mm. for 10 years, knew everything about it. And that was the strength of the Patriots offense that, right. you know, if those six or seven guys knew what, what was going on, everyone else would kind of fall in line and, and figure it out. Now that basically all of those guys have left Caceres with the Texans, Brady's in Tampa Bay, Julian Edelman's retired. Gronkowski's out of there. Uh, Josh McDaniels is with the Raiders. They were essentially forced to do this because that strength is gone. They, you know, everyone who used to know that system so well is gone other than maybe, you know, James White, David Andrews, some of these kind of holdovers a little bit. So I do think that they've streamlined some things. Uh, one thing that I thought was very interesting during camp is that when you see the running game, you're not really seeing guards pulling anymore. You're not seeing a fullback out there on the field. So maybe Belichick saw what, you know, Sean McVay and, and Kyle Shanahan have done. Maybe he goes to a little bit more of a zone running scheme because they were doing both for a number of years when Dante Scarnecchia was there. And like I said, everyone knew what was going on. Now I think they do have to streamline things and simplify things a little bit more. Uh, one other interesting thing, Bill O'Brien was around earlier in the spring. Maybe he could bring in some elements of the Alabama offense with some help from Mac Jones. You mm -hmm. also saw Jed Fish around uh, earlier this spring. He's the Arizona head coach, but he also spent some time with Sean McVay with yeah. the LA Rams. So I do think that there's other voices involved here, but I think that it could look pretty significantly different from what you used to see in the Tom Brady offense this year with the Patriots. Is Mac Brown, I mean, Mac Brown, Mac, Mac, Mac Jones. Look, I mean, looking, looking sharp. I mean, does he look like he's, does he look like he's, a guy that's ready to take the next step because we've heard all this stuff with the second year quarterback, Zach Wilson, mainly we've seen the photos of how big he's gotten, but you've heard, you know, I, I, I haven't seen photos of Mac Jones from up there at OTAs, but I did read some um, articles saying that he looks like he's kind of put on some good weight or maybe lost some baby fat or so like, does he look, what about Mac Jones? The, the chin is definitely a little bit sharper this year. I'd say <laughs> okay. on Mac Jones. I think yeah. the, the gut might be a little bit gone. He does. He looks like he's transformed things a little bit uh, this offseason, which I think is it was something the Patriots really wanted. And that's what you kind of expect to see out of these quarterbacks entering year two. And I was really impressed with Mac Jones. He really didn't have many incompletions. I know it's mostly on air, seven on sevens, 11 on 11s. You'd expect uh, he, Mac Jones to look good in that kind of setting, right? Right. That's the kind of, yeah. Yep. But I mean, like I said earlier, like his touch passes were, were on point. He was hitting guys downfield really, really strongly. Not only Trey Nixon, you saw Nelson Aguilar making downfield catches, Johnny Smith. Uh, I'd say they looked better on the deep throws than they did on the, on the 10 year out, 10 yard outs. Like uh, I coming out of like, I know it's, it's kind of a flipping comment or whatever. It was kind of a side, a comment off to the side, but like at one point when he's hitting all of these deep throws, when he's completing all of these passes, I turned to another beat writer. I was like, is Mac Jones going to be Joe Burrow this year? Like, are we going to see that? I love it. Sign me year? up. Yes. And like, up. You know, it's obviously way too early for all yeah. that and everything, but Mac Jones was good last year. And if he can take another step forward, the, the tricky thing is that he doesn't have Josh McDaniels. He doesn't have an experienced play caller. He doesn't have Kyle Shanahan. He doesn't have Sean McVay. So he's going to have to work through that a little bit, the in inexperience on the offensive play calling. It's also not the most talented Patriots, uh, you know, offensive roster, but – He's got some playmakers around him. Uh, I think that he's a really smart quarterback. And if he can take that jump, then then I think it, there could be big things for Mac Jones this year. I was impressed with him personally. Did, 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 did Cole Strange come right in and, and join the starting offensive line group? Yeah, he was at left guard. Uh, one thing that was interesting is that since he was drafted in 2018, uh, Isaiah Wynn has always been a left tackle with the Patriots. This year during minicamp and OTAs, uh, we saw Trent Brown at left tackle. And we saw Isaiah Wynn at right tackle. 
Not totally sure what's going on there, but Trent Brown was the Patriots starting left tackle actually in 2018 when Isaiah Wynn was injured. Uh, then Trent Brown played right tackle last year with Wynn at left tackle, but the line was uh, Trent Brown at left tackle, Cole Strange at left guard, David Andrews at center, uh, Michael Onwenu at right guard, and then Isaiah Wynn at right tackle. One kind of theory that we had about this is maybe they wanted to shift the weight around a little bit because Trent Brown and Michael Onwenu are two of the biggest offensive linemen in the NFL. And mm-hmm. Cole Strange and Isaiah Wynn are, you know, around the 300-pound range. So right. maybe they just wanted to kind of shift things around a little bit, especially if they're going to be doing some zone rushing stuff, um, not put all the weight there on the right side with Onwenu and Trent Brown. But uh, definitely notable that, that those guys have shifted around. Oh, oh, when he, I remember when he, he was like a fifth round pick for those fifth round pick or something Sixth but, round out of Michigan. Yeah. Yep. I remember him, like he, he's, he, he's like a 355 pounder. Or at oh, least yes, he was. He yeah, yes. yeah. And, and not, and not like a, and not, and not super tall either. So it's no. an interesting, an interesting theory there about the kind of balancing out the offensive line. I kind of like that. For sure. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Um, so, so the offensive, I mean, to me, you know, you said, well, you said it was, you said it was Trent Brown, Strange, yep. Andrews, on Winwu and then Isaiah Wynn on yep. paper on paper that sounds pretty paper that sounds like a pretty, pretty good. good offensive line For sure. if you have a good, if you, you you have a meathead caveman like Matt Patricia who's in charge of the run game <laughs> maybe they could get something going like what what do you th- what do you think like as far as these runners because geez they're James Wise coming back but they obviously had Damian Harris what did what did you think about Ramondre Stevenson last year he's a polarizing guy in the fantasy community um you know, because he people kind of can't wrap their heads around what he is because he kind of he's built like an H back or something, but he right. can catch the football. Uh, he's pretty slow, but it's like he has this skill set that not a lot of people really have. You know, big, oversized, yeah. powerful runner who can catch the football, but slow, not very elusive. Uh, it's an interesting sort of combo with a guy like Damian Harris who just got all the guys just all the touchdowns you know last season now they've drafted Pierre Strong they drafted South Carolina um Kevin Harris Kevin Harris yep um James White's still on the roster I don't even know if like JJ Taylor or these guys are sleeping <laughs> on the roster he's still there yeah there's yep. a lot there's a lot of these dudes um how do you see it shaking out? Is this going to be just an ultimate committee? Is Damian Harris still looking like he's going to lead this thing? Is Ramondre Stevenson poised to break out a little bit? And then James White, I mean, he's starting to get a little bit old. Um, I think he was drafted in 2013 or 2014. Yep, 14, do, you, yeah. do, you, do you think that he's still in the – I mean, we forget he's, he's pretty good. And like you mentioned earlier, he's a guy that's been around – for all this different stuff during a season when things could be in flux, like how is this all going to play out? What does all this mean? Uh, it's it's an interesting situation. I think that Ramondre Stevenson, just to start off with, since you know that's the guy you kind of mentioned there first, 
he does. He has, he's got a really weird skill set where he's like six feet, 240, but he catches the ball and he's actually got some pretty quick feet. He's like a, he's like a, a pretty strong runner, but like elusiveness is also one of his strengths, which is kind of weird just because he's so big. But he said something interesting where someone asked him what he wanted to improve on this offseason. He said that he was working on his routes and on being a third down back. So I don't know if he's going to be a, a traditional third down back for the Patriots, but I think that his goal is to be able to be on the field on third down. And if that's the case, if he really impresses this spring and summer and everything like that, I think that there's a possibility that James White could be left off this roster uh, in September. I'm not saying it's a, you know, a, a strong possibility or anything like that, but he signed a, a contract with the Patriots this off season that did not have strong guarantees. It was not an overly strong contract. Then you go out there and you see them, you know, uh, drafting Pierre Strong. You see them drafting Kevin Harris. Uh, they've already got J.J. Taylor on the roster. So there's only so many bodies that they can fit in that backfield. They don't have a fullback anymore. I do think this offense is going to change a little bit. I'm not sure if that that third down back, that James White, Shane Vereen, Kevin Falk guy is going to be, you know, overly necessary in this version of the offense. It might look that different. So I think that Damian Harris is probably still going to be the the starting running back. But I do think that Ramondre Stevenson is going to get a lot of work in there. He had a good rookie season. Uh, Damian Harris was good last season. And then uh, just as far as the rookies go, they're, they're pretty different types of players. Uh, oh, yeah. Pierre Strong is the fastest running back the Patriots have had maybe ever. Certainly uh, since, <laughs> since Phil Belichick came yeah. in. Yeah, he's like a 4-3 guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at him and you're like, yeah, he could probably – Probably getting the squat rack a little bit there uh, over the offseason, strengthen those legs skinny, a little bit. Skinny, skinny legs. He's a little yeah. bit. And it's especially, I'd say it's, you're comparing him to Damian Harris, who's got huge legs. Trunk, you're comparing him to tree trunk thighs. Yeah. Right. Ramondre <laughs> Stevenson, who's 240 yeah. or 250. And then Kevin Harris, also, mm-hmm. looking out of South Carolina, like he's another dude with like a really big, you know, bottom half and everything like that. So maybe it's just, you know, comparing Pierre Strong against those guys, but he did look a little bit smaller, but uh, they were working those guys on pass catching drills. Um, I think that, you know, most likely you'll probably see redshirt seasons out of Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris. Uh, You'll probably see most of the work go to Damian Harris um, and Ramondre Stevenson. But yeah, I mean, I wish I could give you a little bit more intel, but I do think it's going to be the Harris and Stevenson show and then we'll just kind of see who that that third guy who comes in occasionally will be. Well, we've seen you before. I guess I, I've never seen you at Patriots camp. But I know Byron's been up there and talked to you at Patriots camp, and he's come back and said on the show, he's like, man, well, I was talking to Kai, and he was saying this so, and it's like, this runner's probably going to be a healthy scratch this season. Right. Like, do you, like, do you think that do you think that we might see that out of the guys like Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris and stuff to where they could be, ga- could be game day inactives unless they really, really – sort of step up and prove something during, during camp. Is that kind of the, how the, you, how, how you see the pecking order sort of starting to shape up? Like, because, yeah. if, because if, if we're just doing projections, like we're having to do for fantasy, it's like, if you're, if you're going to be putting the touch shares and you're going to be counting in Pierre strong and you're going to be counting in Kevin Harris, right. stuff, all of a sudden things get really thin, really quick for these other guys. Yeah. Now I, I would say that things have shifted a little bit over the last few years where in the past, the Patriots basically redshirted all of their rookie running backs. But then you saw Sonny Michelle being like a 900-yard guy as a rookie. Ramondre Stevenson last year had over 600 yards uh, rushing, over 100 yards receiving. So they've actually started to play those rookies a little bit more. But this year, I just I see the depth there. I see I, I, it's tough to find a way where you've got Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, and maybe James White 
in front of Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, I, I just have a hard time seeing them getting on the field. So unless there's an injury, uh, unless, you know, James White doesn't make the team and Pierre Strong shines during preseason, whatever it is, uh-huh, I, right. I do. I, I just think that they're probably not going to get a lot of work in their rookie seasons. Very good. All right. There we have it from from Doug Kide about the about the breakdown from Patriots OTAs. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you just need, <laughs> did, did you, did you need to get out there? All right. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so, yeah. What about what about uh, so you're a big national NFL reporter now. So I got to just hear hear what you're. <laughs> What you're hearing or what you're thinking, I know that you're covering all the national stories closely. I know that this, you know, this isn't anything that anybody has really any insight into because it's ongoing criminal investigations, but or at least ongoing civil investigations and things like that. But just with Deshaun Watson, do you have any idea um, or any just what what is your view on this? Like now that there's been this New York Times article, there's been these two new uh, these two new accusers. were we getting out over our skis a little bit when we had just kind of thought that Deshaun Watson is going to be back and just back and playing for the Browns next year? Like, do you, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, just, you know, if, if you're just having to make a guess right now, it's, it's so hard to say. I, I, you know, I always thought there was probably going to be like a, you know, a four to six game suspension, something like that. Um, you know, the more that's come out, I just, I don't know. Like, I think that they have to suspend him. I, I don't think that he'll be out there for a full season unless there's a long appeal, whatever it is. Um, I think that they do need to suspend him for some amount of time. I've never really seen the possibility that could be, you know, a, a full year suspension or, you know, with the MLB, they did a two year suspension. I, I don't see something like that coming down. I'm not sure what the, the public expectation is. But I think that that's maybe part of this. You know, the NFL doesn't want to look like they're coming down too soft um, on these accusations. But I think that, you know, four to eight games, something like that, that seems like it, it's probably the most reasonable. Maybe the NFL shocks me and it, it's it's longer than that. But, you know, just kind of seeing what other situations have been, um, they they usually don't do those super lengthy suspensions. Yeah. But if more information comes out or the more the information does come out, certainly possible that, uh, you know, the, the Browns have made a, a gigantic error here and signing him to that massive guaranteed contract. Maybe he does, you know, get a really lengthy suspension, but it's just, it doesn't really seem to be what the NFL usually does. Yeah. I'm, you're not a contract specialist and I didn't prepare you for this question. So if you don't know, oh, it's, it's, sure. it, it's, it's, it's fine. But like, is there no way that they can kind of, if this goes to like, they just have to pay him no matter what, like they just have to pay him. Like, is there no way that they, I mean, I wonder if there's any outs at all. It's probably, I, probably have to ask a contract guy. I just, yeah, it is. I mean, usually there are, you know, outs and contracts. And if I, I think that if there was like a, a legal situation beyond what they were aware of, then maybe there would be a, an easy way to get out of this or something like that. But I mean, uh, I think Mike Florio of Pro Football talked throughout the possibility that maybe they could put him on the commissioner's exempt list this season while they figure this all out. And that would be, you know, possibly even worse for the Browns because then they'd still have to pay him while he's not playing. I know it's not, it's only like a $1 million salary this season. So I know that's not a huge concern for them, but I think pretty much anything is still on the table at this point. I wonder if Baker Mayfield would ever play for those guys again. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be interesting, huh? Otherwise, Baker Mayfield one year revenge tour with the team that spurned him. And won. I can't see it. I don't I think really it can't. would. I don't, I don't think it would happen. I know. Uh, you had the show. You had the piece. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, the teams that uh, teams that have been, you know, uh, 
I guess looking at them last year, the Browns didn't finish bottom of their division. But you wrote this, or you wrote this article that I read some of it. But I said, you know, I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop reading this because I want to ask Doug about it on the pod. <laughs> so it's it's about teams. You talked to some NFL executives and some some of your sources about what was it about teams that go went from that could teams go from could, worst to first. Yeah, teams that could basically be this year's Bengals. You know, okay. ba- Bengals went. While they were last place in 2020, then they make a Super Bowl in 2021. And like, you know, heading into the season, I think they had plus 15,000 odds or something like that to uh-huh. win a Super Bowl. So that was like, they, they were a super long shot, obviously, coming into last season. So the teams who finished, so last year, the Jets were last in the AFC East. The Ravens were last in the AFC North, which is int- which is surprising to me. I know. The, the Ravens were last. The Jags were last. The Broncos were last. The Giants were last, the Lions were last, the Panthers were last, and the Seahawks were last. Now, out of those guys, we could probably cross off from going to first, we could probably cross off Drew Locke or Geno Smith Seahawks, right? Yeah. Could probably probably cross off um probably cross off the Jaguars. Maybe I don't know, maybe not. What are these executives? Do you know what I well, think they said? I, I think they probably said if you're t- looking at these teams, it's gonna be the Ravens or maybe it's gonna be Denver. With just with what they've been able to do is that's kind of the vibe of what they said yeah pretty much and like some guys even kind of went off the board and said some teams have finished in third place like uh the chargers were one pick the dolphins were another pick but if i just look at the teams that like if i had to compare a situation to what the Bengals did last year i think you it would have to be either the jaguars or the jets and of those two teams I actually kind of think the Jaguars, like I, I'm not saying the Jaguars are going to make the Super Bowl or anything like that, but like no one in their right mind would have said last year that the Bengals were going to make the Super Bowl either. So I think that what it would take for the Jaguars this season to actually make a Super Bowl, Trevor Lawrence would have to play like Joe Burrow did last year. And I mean, based on what Trevor Lawrence did in college, based on you know how yeah. esteemed he was coming out of college, not out of the realm of possibility. They've got Doug Peterson now, a lot more stability there at head coach. And I know that you could kind of critique the moves and the, the amount of money that they spent this offseason, but they brought in a lot of players in free agency yeah. that should make their roster a little bit better. I still think that the Jaguars are probably going to struggle a little bit this year. I think it's still kind of a rebuilding situation, but it's not as much of a rebuilding situation as maybe the Giants have, maybe the Seahawks have, uh, some of these other teams that – that headed into the offseason knowing this was going to be a, a struggling year. AFC South is wide open. I, I think that the Jaguars are are the most interesting team that you might be able to compare to the Bengals a year from now. Uh, well, I just I wish I had it pulled. I wish I had their. Um, I wish I had the 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 win totals just pulled up. But I, I think I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars only have like a five and a half win total. Did like. If, if you were looking at that, is that something that you would find interesting? Like, if you think that they could, you know, if they're the team that's most sort of like the Patriot, or I'm sorry, the um, the Bengals from last year, wouldn't that be a, a decent futures bet to make is maybe betting the over on these guys? I, I like it. I mean, I know that <laughs> on paper, like betting on the Jaguars is always <laughs> a little bit scary to do. But I do. I, I mean, I think that they could be. I don't know. The AFC South is just, it just seems so wide open to me where no one really expects the Texans to do anything this year. Uh, the Colts, who knows what Matt Ryan looks like this season uh, in a new uniform, even the Titans. I mean, when, once you, once you're willing to trade away AJ Brown, who knows how Ryan Tannehill looks this season, like that just seems like a division that, that some team could creep up out of nowhere. And if there is a team this year, I think that it would be the Jaguars rather than a team like the Texans. But I don't know, like I said, like, 
you can critique the moves that they made. I, I don't think that they necessarily need to spend the amount of money they did on Zay Jones and on uh, Christian Kirk, but at least they did add talent this season. So yeah, I actually kind of, I, I do. I, I kind of like that. I kind of like an overbet on, on the Jaguars win total. I, I think that the sports book, DraftKings sports book must've read your article because they moved it from 5.5 to six even. So <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking now too. It's also uh so AFC South, the Colts are minus 125 to win. The Titans are plus 170. Jacksonville's plus 700 to win. So you could, you could get in on, get in on that right sure. now. Houston Texans plus, plus, 3,000. I wouldn't recommend anybody bet on <laughs> it that. It seems pretty fair, yeah. All right, so he, he's he's Doug Kide. Again, find him on Twitter, at Doug Kide. You can find all of his work over at pff.com. He tweets it all out from his Twitter. It's Kide, K-Y-E-D. Um, Doug, I always appreciate you coming on, brother. I just have one more, one more question for you here. Oh, and also I have to plug Underdog Fantasy. Go to Underdog Fantasy. Use promo code ROSTER for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Uh, get in the Best Ball Mania 3 tournament. Your chance to win two, two million bucks up front, one million a second. It's a, it's, a, it's a big, big, big time, big time contest. Okay, Doug, last question. Are the Rams teaching teams how what they need to do about building – about how they're going to build their rosters and stuff. I mean, we've just seen the big money to Aaron Donald. We've seen the big money to Cooper Cup. These guys trade away all their picks. They spend all this money in free agency. How do they do this? Um, I like I said, I know you're not a, I know you're not a contract specialist, but just from a general dance, you know, when, when you talk to your fellow colleagues, you talk to your reporters, and you just sort of think about these, you know, these teams and, and these bills on a granular level. Like, is the Rams way of doing things? Is this the new way of doing things? Or they just, or they, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on, on this? And how do they seem like they don't even care about a salary cap? They just don't even, it's like, I think you're in. Part of it is that with a lot of these contracts, they're extending guys. So they extended Cooper cup, they extended Aaron Donald. So by extending them, that actually lowers their cap hit for this season. So that's kind of a way that they are actually making all these deals and still signing guys like Allen Robinson and all these other players is that by extending these guys, they actually do lower their salary cap. They're going to have to pay the bills at some point down the line. And maybe you see them get into kind of a, a New Orleans Saints situation where they have to just keep pushing it back and back and back. But yeah. I, they're actually in pretty good shape salary cap wise this year and even into the future, because those guys are all now already locked up. They don't have to worry about all those contracts. Now at this point, the key is for them to draft really well in the middle rounds, because as you said, they, they keep trading away their draft picks. They, they can't have those. I don't know what's going to happen to them this year, but like they drafted two, two out well last year in the second round. I'm not sure if that's going to wind up being the most valuable pick, um, but they do. They have to keep hitting on those, those mid round guys. I'm not sure if it's a sustainable way for other teams to do business in the future. Maybe there's some copycats and those don't go well. And teams kind of see that it only really worked if you draft really well, like the Rams did with guys like Cooper cup and Aaron Donald. But I don't know. It is fascinating. But the one thing that I would just keep pressing is that they it's, they're still functioning under the salary cap. It's just that by extending these guys and lowering their salaries, they are able to spread out those cap hits, and that's why they're able to stay under the cap as they are. 